Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. The reversal in Esther is just a tiny picture of the greater reversal that we see when we arrive in the New Testament. The greatest reversal in the course of human history that we now, looking back, can see is the person and work of Jesus Christ, where on one day, all that was facing us in death and destruction and separation from God, the reverse occurs. And all of a sudden, life and blessing and security come out of what Jesus has done. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The story that plays out in the book of Esther is one that begins with impending doom for an entire people. It ends instead with their victory over their intended destroyers. It's remarkable to watch the intrigue and behind-the-scenes dealings, a real-life drama playing out before our very eyes. Pastor Ricky will be teaching about the providence of God and how His hand works in our lives even when we can't perceive Him. It's beneficial for us to pay attention to history because we can learn from it. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, The Great Reversal. And the first things that came out of the ground, they would take and offer to the Lord. Now, that's really dangerous if you don't know how well the harvest is going to go. The first stuff out of the ground may be some of the last stuff out of the ground if it's a bad year. But instead, you take that, you offer it to the Lord as an acknowledgement of the fact that, Lord, we really are dependent on you for all we have. And then there were subsequent holidays like Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, where they offered some of the harvest at the end of the harvest in proportion to how big of a harvest it was. So you offer the first fruits, and then at the end, you offer whatever has kind of come out of the harvest that year. And what's the point of that? Well, is it a reality that God is our provider? Is it a reality that we are dependent on him daily for what we have? It is. Is it a reality that we should turn in gratefulness to the Lord for all that we have? It is. And yet, it'd be so easy to just show up start harvesting, keep harvesting, finish harvesting, and go on with our lives. And so the Lord puts these reminders, these celebrations to help his people see. My favorite holiday, if I had to pick one, which I wish we still did, was the Feast of Booths. This is where, in Numbers 29, the Israelites were commanded to literally camp out and build little huts for a week, eat tons of food, have sacrifices every day and remember how God sustained them in the wilderness. So this would be like if a whole church came and like camped out on our property back there and all we did for a week was grill stuff, I could get into that. If we could turn the 4th of July into a week of just camping and hanging out, that sounds awesome. Well, why was the Lord doing that? He wanted his people to remember. Remember that I sustained you and I still sustain you today. So the main point is that celebrating helped God's people see the spiritual realities that they often ignored around them. Now add to this kind of the backdrop of the book of Esther. It seems like to the exiles, God is absent. God's people are living day to day under foreign rule. Seems like God is nowhere to be found. Their culture is not acknowledging their God. And they would go day to day, week to week, month to month, with little to no declaration of who God was. Remember that these people were not living in Jerusalem. So many of the reminders that they would get from living in Israel were not there. They're living far away from all of that stuff. And so this 
festival, this feast, Purim, was a specific way for the exiles in that community to stop and remember the reality that God was there, even if it didn't feel like he was there. And this is one quote from the ESV Study Bible that I loved. The commentator says this, as with regard to their feasts and their lamenting, the Jews were to take their obligation to observe the joyful feast of Purim just as seriously as they had already accepted their obligation to observe days of fasting and weeping. Meaning, sometimes we think, okay, man, the serious stuff, like the Day of Atonement, that was important to the Israelites. Absolutely, it was important. Is it important to weep before the Lord at times and fast and ask for his help? It absolutely is important. But this joyful feast, this celebration, was just as much an obligation on them. So what does this mean? It means that God's people from the very beginning were always to be a celebrating people. We are to celebrate things, and in celebrating them, God helps us see the spiritual realities behind the world that's around us. Recently, our community group took some time a few weeks ago. We had a week where we didn't do the study, and we just shared stories of how God, either recently or in the past, showed himself faithful to us. Times where it didn't seem like God was there, but the reality was that God was there leading and guiding us. And at one point, we kind of came out, surveyed our lives, and were able to see it. So we, we just swapped stories. Some of them were recent. Some of them were funny. Some of them were really serious. There was a few about how people met their spouses in unexpected ways. You go down the roads of, okay, if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened and this hadn't happened, this never would have happened. So basically, we traced my relationship to Jen all the way back to a random conversation that Tom had with Jen's pastor that neither of us knew about, that neither of us knew would set into motion this whole chain of events that would end up with us meeting and getting married. So Tom, thanks for that, man. Thanks for having that conversation. And what's great is, as I'm sharing this, it's helping me as I celebrate what God has done to bring me and my wife together. It helps me see the providential hand of God. That's why God commands celebration. Second, what do we celebrate? What specifically were they celebrating at Purim? Well, we know that they were seeing God's work. We know that they were seeing God at work even when it seemed like he was distant from them. But what specifically is the center of the celebration? I believe it's in verse six, which we read earlier, that on this day that God's people were going to be destroyed, the reverse occurred and they were blessed and prospered and saved. See, this great reversal is what the festival of Purim was centered around. That at one moment, they were all condemned to death and their property and their lives were taken from them. And then at the next moment, they were triumphant and ascendant and secure. See, for God's people, they would remember this great reversal. But for us as Christians, we see something even more clearly than they did. We see that God is the God of great reversals. And the reversal in Esther is just a tiny picture of the greater reversal that we see when we arrive in the New Testament. The greatest reversal in the course of human history that we now, looking back, can see is the person and work of Jesus Christ, where on one day, all that was facing us in death and destruction and separation from God, the reverse occurs, and all of a sudden, life and blessing and security come out of what Jesus has done. I'm gonna read at length from a commentator, Dr. Ian Duguid, who was my favorite professor in school. And I tried to reword this better and I just kept failing. So I'm just gonna read you what he said. 
He says this, Jesus did not bring about this great reversal by waging comprehensive holy war on the enemies of God's people, the Gentiles, and destroying them utterly, but rather by destroying the ancient enmity between them and God. See, this is good news because our great opposition wasn't from outside enemies. It was holy opposition from God. Any who are sinners find themselves opposed by God. We were the Hamans, the enemies that deserve to be wiped out. But he came not as a mighty warrior, but as the prince of peace. In Christ, the former Amalekites and Jews, Hamans and Mordecais are now brought together in the glorious peace that flows to the one new people of God. Yet our peace, he says, was at a great cost. Peace was established for us by God declaring holy war upon his own son. This is what was happening on the cross. God the Father laid upon his son Jesus the guilt of all the sins of those who would become his people. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. All the ugliness and pain of the entire history of holy war were concentrated into six hours of awful agony and the burning darkness of the cross. His body was not merely tortured and brutalized by the Romans to the point of death, but he was exposed to cosmic shame by being hung on the cross, the way Haman was hung in view of all the city. Like Haman and his sons, Jesus' body was hung on a tree, the ultimate sign of God's judgment curse. On the cross, Jesus fully bore God's curse upon our sin. Why? so that we might receive peace through his righteousness and have rest from all our guilt and sin and access into the life-giving presence of God. See what he's saying? He's saying that the cross is our great reversal, that in the story of Esther, we look for ourselves and we think, oh, maybe I'd be brave like Queen Esther or kind of wise like Mordecai. No, he says, listen, if you find yourself in the story, we're the Haman guy. We've opposed God. We've gone after God in rebellion and the curse of God should hang on us. And yet on that very day that, that our sins should be carried out, Jesus is the one who is hung in our place for our sins. This is just utterly amazing. In the Old Testament, if you were hung on a tree, you bore a special curse. And that curse was not just, okay, you're exposed and shame before everyone. It was a spiritual curse that rested on that. And the New Testament says very explicitly that that curse for sin was the curse that rested on Jesus. That's why Jesus died the way he died. Do you ever consider that? Jesus was hung on a tree because being hung on a tree meant that you were cursed by God. And in that moment, he was cursed by God. He was cursed for us. So that at the very day that we should have gone to receive the just punishment for our sins, Jesus steps in and the reverse occurs. And instead of getting what we deserve, we receive 
through Christ, by faith in him, adoption, justification, reconciliation, new life, a sure future hope with him in heaven forever. The reverse occurs, Christians. In light of this great reversal, then God's people were commanded to trust his providential care even when they could not see him. See, this great reversal would help the people of God trust him even when it seemed like God was silent or absent. By celebrating the reality of what he had done for them, it anchored them in God's love for them and care for them no matter what was going on in their lives. A few years ago, our son Ford, after he was born, had to spend some time in the hospital right after he was born. And I remember it was the hardest thing that I'd ever done was to be in the hospital with him and then have to leave him at night to be able to come home and rest so that we could go back in the morning. And I remember at one point, I was going by myself, I think Jen was staying at the hospital with Ford, and I had this CD, this like worship CD in my car, and it was a song about how God is a mighty fortress. It was kind of reworking of Luther's hymn. And it was this upbeat, like clapping, you know, stomping song. And the chorus said, hope in God, oh my soul, for he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, for he's a rock and a hiding place. And everything in my circumstances said, I don't know if that is true. But the verses remind me, it is true. You don't wanna know how true it is. It's so true that Jesus Christ took my punishment on himself so that I could be secure eternally. So no matter what is happening in front of me right now, I can celebrate and by celebrating, and I remember in my car, crying and singing, hope in God, oh my soul, for he is strong and he is strong to save. That is true and I know it's true because of the cross. And there'll be times, friends, where the tears keep you from seeing anything in your life clearly, but by celebrating the reality of what God has done, you will be able to see again. Why celebrate helps us to see. What do we celebrate? We celebrate the great reversal. And very briefly, just a few quick thoughts on how can we celebrate. How can we celebrate? These are just very brief thoughts. Um, First, we celebrate by really celebrating. Often when I'm working on the message, I'll pull some guys in the leadership team in, and this week, Jonathan Matthews really helped me with this point when he pointed out celebrating is different than remembering. God's people are supposed to remember stuff, but his command to celebrate stuff is different. Why is it different? Because celebrating requires you not to just engage your head, but your heart. You can remember something dispassionately, but to celebrate something, you have to engage your heart. So how do we celebrate? Well, we engage our heads by remembering what God has done and our hearts by inclining them to respond to the reality of what God has done. And we see emotion in what Mordecai commands them to do. And there's some comments here in 9 verse 22 where it says that as the days in which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month had been turned for them, listen to this, from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness. In other words, he's saying that the reality of what happened is that their hearts and their emotions were engaged. They went from weeping to rejoicing, from thinking that they were all gonna die to that they're all gonna be okay, and they're secure in the empire. See, 
the reality of the truth should then engage our hearts. We are called to connect our hearts to our theology and our theology to our hearts. We're called to connect what we know is true about God with what we feel. Now, we're no longer under the law of Moses. So as much fun as this would be, you're not strictly obligated, according to the New Testament, to send gifts of food to one another on Purim. You can do that. You can do that with us. We are happy to be a starter test case if you wanna try sending some gifts of food. Tom and I would be happy to participate in just kind of serving the church in that way. Celebrate. So we're not required to celebrate, but we are to celebrate, and it is to be something that we glean from these ceremonial laws. So a few quick thoughts on this. First, we're to celebrate in the everyday. Every single day provides us with opportunities to celebrate. Now, it doesn't mean that at your two-year-old's birthday party, you stop the whole thing and give a 30-minute-long sermon about the Old Testament feasts to impress on the child the importance of celebrating. No, but it doesn't mean that every day there are opportunities to point out God's goodness and character, and it's worth taking a moment to silently thank God for your meal, or thank God when you receive a promotion, or thank God when a meeting with a client goes well, or Thank God when it doesn't go well, right? There are moments every day that we can celebrate. And I just wanna say this with families and with parents, man, kids pick up on what you celebrate. They pick up what you celebrate. This week, I created a monster in my home because for a long time, Ford's been watching Transformers Rescue Bots. This is like a side trail for all the parents of young kids. Everybody else just stick with me for a second. Transformers Rescue Bots is a cheap imitation of the amazing original Transformers. And so yeah, he loved this. And so I tried to win him. I tried to play the original theme song for him to help him see. It's such a better theme song. We'll play little clips here and there. And he was kind of like, oh, okay, that sounds good. But then this week I found a DVD of it at the library. And so I found it and I was like, oh, Ford look what I found. And he goes, what is it, right? He's picking up like, I say, it's the original Transformers. And he's like, oh man. And so we take it home and we watch it and the song starts playing and I'm like five years old again. And I'm just like, and then the laser sound. And I'm just into it. And Ford, listen, Ford is watching me and by the end of the first episode, I'm like, yes, this is amazing. And Ford is like, yes, this is amazing. Now, it helps that his interests are kind of in line with mine. But I did not realize that from that moment, Ford would not stop celebrating the Transformers and desiring to watch it until our rental is up, thank God, tomorrow. <laughs> and the library sent me an email. Would you like to renew this thing without coming in? And I just deleted it. And tomorrow I'm gonna to tell Ford, we have to take it back, buddy. And so, and what's the point of that? The point is our kids grasp and pick up what we celebrate as their parents. Our children remember and notice what we celebrate. And so what we celebrate, listen, it doesn't have to constantly be like a theological treatise, but we should be taking time to direct their attention to God, the source of all good things and to what he's done for us. Celebrate in the everyday. Second, celebrate Sundays. 
We have an opportunity every week to celebrate what God has done for us and to highlight what God has done for us. Every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is. So Sundays should be intentional celebrations for us. Tom always quotes Charles Spurgeon in saying that the church is the dearest place on earth and Sunday is the best day of the week. It means on Sundays, we should come ready to engage our heads and our hearts. And we have a great opportunity every week when we sing. I am not a fan of passionless singing. I know in our culture, it's like weird. We don't get together and sing a lot of songs. Like if you go to soccer games in Europe, they know full songs. And if you go to a football game in America, we go, yeah, and it's just this like, for like two hours. We don't sing songs anymore. We should sing songs in church. You know why we should sing songs? Because we're singing to connect our heads and our hearts by our voices. John Vogan read this call to worship that should not be received dispassionately this morning. He said, he read this, Psalm 66, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. And what we did then for the next 20, 25 minutes is we recounted the deeds of the Lord. And there were multiple opportunities for shouting and for singing. So when we come on Sunday, we should come ready to engage our heads and our hearts. We should also be intentional about celebrating the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. When we take communion, we celebrate and remember what God has done for us. When we baptize somebody, we mark and celebrate their new life in Christ. We celebrate Sundays. Third, we celebrate with our church family. We should celebrate outside of just Sunday mornings. We have relationships in the church, in our community groups, and beyond that. So when you're with your church family, it doesn't have to, again, be this long treatise, but celebrate and mark what God has done. Jen and Amanda often, for the last few years, have done this Friendsgiving thing with a bunch of friends that we started with several years ago in marriage. We all got married around the same time. And so this past year, I made us go around and share one thing we were thankful for, even though it was like super cheesy, a hallmark thing to do. It was awesome because I got to hear what God had done in the lives of some of the people that I wasn't even aware of. I love that. Celebrate with your church family. Last, celebrate on special occasions. This is my pre-Easter prep. There's no biblical command to celebrate things like Christmas and Easter, right? It's not in the New Testament, but they happen to be holidays on our American calendar. And when we see holidays on our American calendar, we should look, what can we accept? What do we have to reject? What can we redeem? And so some things like Memorial Day, we just receive. That's a good thing to remember those who have fallen defending our country. Other things like Christmas, we have to redeem because it's so awash with consumerism that we have to kind of sort through that and remember it's about the incarnation of Jesus for us. And we have an awesome opportunity coming up with Easter. So I just wanna encourage you, for the next couple of weeks, don't just kind of slide into Easter. Don't just like thoughtlessly make your way to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Take time to prepare your heart. Take time to prepare your family. Gather with them. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. So much more to discover in this God of Chance series, but that's all we have time for on today's edition of Better News Radio. 
If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you'd like to find more teachings by Pastor Ricky, visit our website at betternewsradio.com. If you'd like a full-length CD version of today's teaching, you can order one by emailing us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that we can bring you God's Word through the ministry of Better News Radio, and we want you to know that we're praying for you always. We want to encourage you. If you haven't done so already, find a good Bible teaching church to become a part of. By joining a church, you gain a support group of fellow believers who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your own relationship with your Creator. You too can contribute in your own unique way as well, and together the body of Christ will reach many with the good news of the Gospel. If you're in the El Paso area, we would love to have you come see us in person at Cross of Grace Church. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship God and hear what He has to teach us through His Word. Find out more under the Community tab at betternewsradio.com. If you're not in El Paso, there's also some great resources to help you find a great church in your area. Thanks for listening to Pastor Ricky's message today from the God of Chance series. He'll have more to share next time right here on Better News Radio. Oh, my soul.